0: Oh, it seems we have a message from our prestigious benefactors about a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Are you a people person, a problem solver, and do you have an immortal soul ready to be sacrificed? If you answered yes to any of the previous questions, then you should consider joining the Game Master inside of Deceit 2. The game releases on Thursday, September 14th. Bring your friends to this social deduction horror game where you will race against the clock to free souls and outmaneuver the Game Master's schemes. But be warned, not all of your friends will remain true to your mission. Amongst your party, two will be infected with an evil monster inside of them. They will work to open a path to the in-between, where they can unleash their true terror forms. As an innocent, it's up to your ability to separate truth from deception in order to survive this sadistic game. You'll learn new skills, develop new fears, and if you're lucky, you may just escape with your mind intact. You can grab Deceit 2 on Steam tomorrow and be sure to follow deceit on social at playdeceit for future updates.
1: Very nice. Unfortunately, I sold my soul a long time ago, so I'm yes. already counted out on that. Same. But I sold it to our benevolent Loomy overlords Labs. over uh, at No. No. <laughs> no, not Lumi. That that would that'd be funny too. I sold my soul to our benevolent overlords at Fangoria. And that means it's time to talk a little bit about Fangoria before we jump into the show. That's right. Fangoria has been at it for over 40 years and is back in better than ever. This gorgeous magazine is highly collectible and is delivered right to your front door four times a year with each issue filled to the brim with articles exploring every nook and cranny of genre filmmaking past, present and future with all the most exciting journalists, filmmakers and horror know-it-alls to guide the way, including from time to time your intrepid KingCast hosts. This high quality writing will only ever appear within the physical pages of the magazine, not online. So if you want to join in on the fun, you will need to subscribe. And since KingCast listeners are in the family, I can give you a nice nifty little discount code for you. You can save a whopping 25% off your order if you use the code KingCast at checkout. And with all that
0: said, let's get on with the show.
2: My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Bad rum! Bad You guys want to go see a dead
1: body?
0: Well, sometimes, that is is better.
1: Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name is Eric Vespi. And I'm Scott Wampler. And we are your hosts. Today, we have a twofer for you. Both are directors and both contributed to the upcoming insane horror anthology, Satanic Hispanics. You'll recognize their work from One of the Dead, Bingo Hell, uh, and Nightmare Cinema. And I'm not kidding when I call their contributions to Satanic Hispanics absolutely fucking bonkers. You guys are going to love it. Now they are here to talk about Stephen King's The Mist and Frank Darabont's Divisive. And in my opinion, super great adaptation. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Alejandro Bruges and Gigi Sal Guerrero to the KingCast stage
3: yeah no. you should have done the intro, the intro
1: in hey, spanish eric. oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah Here, hold on hold on let me do that and see if i can remember my uh my middle school spanish yeah, you're gonna massacre 30 that, something you know? years ago
2: how long have you uh, known me eric
1: uh since before you came to america you were still you okay. were it's Bruguez. Right?
2: Brugues.
1: Brugues. <laughs> you, uh, you motherfucker, you just I literally just watched you do an uh, uh an intro uh for something on like Instagram for satanic Hispanics and you said Alejandro Bruges, Alejandro Bruges, and I'm like, Oh, I've been saying it wrong.
2: Bruges. Bruges.
1: You said, you, you, this comes from your fucking lips. I don't want to hear any of this bullshit. You said Bruges on the last thing that I checked and I'm like, I must've gotten it wrong. Are you you telling this man how to say his own name? I'm telling this man that he's saying his name multiple different ways. (laughs) And he's trying to confuse me and and make me look stupid. And I don't like it. This is what what happens when when
2: you let white people mess with our stuff. (laughs) <laughs> what are you saying Gigi I'm sorry
3: oh I said that's something that sounds like something Alejandro would do and just fuck with everyone.
1: Yeah, that's gaslighting to to the to the max and I don't appreciate it. On He's my punishing show notes. Us, Punishing uh, yeah. us
0: for not having more uh Latino people oh, on the yeah. show. Oh, that's, that's true.
1: That is true. Uh we we definitely need uh more Latino people on the show. I don't know. At least at least we're here now and all gathered together in peace and and, <laughs> and happiness and in celebration of Satanic Hispanics which is a movie that uh I really like and I'm I love horror anthologies, but I'm also kind of a hard sell on them because so many of them don't work. In Satanic Hispanics, absolutely does, Uh, and so I'm really happy to have you guys on the show, even if Alejandro is going to give me shit for the entire hour.
2: (laughs) 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 I am, I am. I'm going to say, I'm going to mispronounce your name like even worse next time
1: just to fuck with you.
2: I am. To say that I'm like I'm (laughs) Colombian and then like I'm Ecuadorian or stuff like that. (laughs) Yes
0: okay so I have, a, I have a question for both of you but I'll start start with Gigi. Um, we are as as Eric just noted, huge fans of horror anthologies here. I feel like horror anthologies have had like major releases from studios in the past, but it feels like something the studios are moving away from And every time I get a horror anthology filmmaker on this show, I ask them the same question which is why do you think that these these why do you think horror anthologies are now more, independent productions versus something the studio is like putting its full weight behind and, you know, bringing together like really, you know, big directors or big talent. Like why, why aren't they rolling out the red carpet for this format? That's my question.
3: That's a great question. There's like a hundred answers for your question.
2: <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have one. So you go nuts.
3: But, but definitely, you know, the, for, for, for me personally, you know we do these independently. It's almost like these happen independently because we are the ones to say yes, and I find mm-hmm. that I find that with studios, just the idea of taking risks is really scary, even a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of i mean I can only think of a good anthology formatted show that's still going is Black Mirror and I wish there was yeah. more. I wish there was more right. and uh, it, it's funny to see how. When the good anthology comes out, such as Satanic Hispanics, <laughs> you know, it becomes a big deal because it's almost like, wow, I've never seen that before. And it's like, dude, it's because we don't allow for this to happen often. Right. And I find that, uh, you know, for such a long time uh, in, in the industry in general, you know, execs and the higher ups that have been doing this for a long time, they look for what people call a yes person. Yes, I'll do that. Sure, no problem. No, I have no mm-hmm. change. Yes, I'll do exactly what you want. And now that we have such a high demand for content in general, but also content that is authentic, diverse, man, it's really us independent independent filmmakers that are the ones that take that chance to challenge audiences. So right. I think, well, I mean... I could keep going and going, but Alejandro, is yours, is your answer in I don't, that direction? I
2: don't, have a, I don't have an answer. Like, I'm, I'm trying, I'm sincerely trying to remember what was the last horror anthology uh, that I saw released by a studio. Mm. Yeah, I, I can't I, remember either. I mean, done by by several directors, not done. Right. Trick, yeah,
1: not like Trick or, or Treat or something. Yeah. yeah, there had to be something after Twilight Zone, the movie, right? Or, or is that the last horror. one? Well, I mean, Movie 43 is a comedy, right? But isn't that yeah, multiple horror. directors doing it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, yeah, movie no. 43 is fucking trash. So we, <laughs> yeah, we do not want to bring did. that up. I not want to
3: say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: But it did never... give us Hugh Jackman with balls on his chin. So, yeah. so it can, a, can't that's be all bad.
2: That's I don't point. know if
1: it's worth the trade off. Still don't think it's that funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it just.
0: But yeah, uh, Twilight Zone, the movie is the last one I can think of. To, I mean, that was. Tales from know.
1: the Dark Side, the movie was in the early 90s. I think that was Was that different directors, though? I think it was. Hmm. But yeah, Twilight Zone might have been the the nail in the coffin cuz that was like the full weight of Spielberg behind it and then the accident that happened and all right. the hubbub around that. I think it just kind of which is weird cuz that's not the takeaway you should, you know, you get from what happened on the Twilight Zone the movie set. That's it's mm-hmm. it should be maybe not uh work with uh with uh children in dangerous situations and yeah, sure. and, uh, and you know explode you know an explosion in front of a helicopter like maybe that's the the takeaway not that that anthology shouldn't happen anymore no but it's,
2: sure. I, I think listen i think anthologies are inherently risky because uh let's face it it's usually uh there's some that are good or some that aren't like inside anthology like the shorts the segments so and and i don't know like i i also guess uh like to second um, Gigi's uh, answer, uh, you know, like if trying to boss around one director is uh, a lot, <laughs> <You> <laughs> to do that with four or five.
1: Right.
3: Um, oh, I never thought about it like that. And now yeah. all, all Latinos, that's a lot of toxicness, bro. That's like,
0: yeah.
1: that's,
3: um, that's hard.
1: Well, there, yeah, there's there's, there's 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 no studio boss out there that could that could handle that right now. So yeah, I do like your point that that though the one of the things that I I'm liking about anthologies, you know, whether or not they work as a whole, you know, and most a lot of them don't, most of them don't actually. Uh, you know, I can point to some of the the worst VHS movies or you know ABCs of Death or whatever. There's always uh like good and bad but what i love about even the the segments that don't work for me is that there's a freedom in anthology to just go absolutely buck wild in a way that you can't with the feature film and you you both absolutely grab on with uh with uh both hands and, and do that with your segments in satanic Hispanics. so so did you find that to, to be the case where it's just like you know fuck it i get to do whatever i want as crazy as i want um, in this conference.
2: Yeah. 100%. I, I, I tried to talk them into not letting me do this. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I, said, I said to Mike first, I have this idea. Please talk me out of it. And he was like, oh, hell no, you have to do that. And then, by, by the way, since we're here, let me say something. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike's a piece of shit. Now, Mario <laughs> Mendes, Brother... He's a big fan of the podcast and Stephen King. If you want, like, I'm not even sure Mike knows how to read, but Mario, <laughs> if you ever want to mend this, Mario is your guy. Okay. So, oh my so God. I, I, I talked to Mike and he he said, no, you have to do that. And then uh, I talked to all the other directors, to Gigi, to Dead Sanchez, to uh, Demian mm-hmm. Ruña, and and I said, guys, listen to this and please tell me not to do it. And they were all like, "Fuck yeah, you have to do that." I was like, "Okay, I guess I'll have to do it." So it's yeah, it's
3: one of the the best WhatsApp conversation reads. I mean, it should be screenshotted because literally, Alejandro was telling us, "This is what I want to do. Please talk me out of it." And what we <laughs> all just kept saying, and you should see the gifts that we were sharing uh, during that <laughs> conversation. It got it got pretty crazy until Alejandro had to say yes.
1: Well, I'm, I'm glad you did your segment in particular plays into like my eighties, uh Ramey height nostalgia. Um, uh, I mean, but I mean, listen, everything is good. And that again, it's a rare anthology where I like every single, uh, piece of it. So, so, uh, you know, I went, I remember I went to that screening, um, it was fantastic. Fest, yeah. So, uh, I went to that screening and I was like, Oh man, you know, I'm, You know, I'm friends with Alejandro, even though I don't know how to pronounce your last name. Apparently, you know, I'm I'm friendly with Mike. Like I, you know, I haven't met you, Gigi, before this, but you know, you're a beloved fixture at Fantastic Fest. I didn't want to be the asshole there, going, "Oh, I'm going to go to the screening," and then afterwards, they're like, "What do you think?" And I'd be like. Well, it was really interesting. You know, I didn't want to be in that position. So I was. Uh, it's always a pleasant surprise when I can go into one of those screenings you know that, when I know the filmmakers and go, oh, my God, it's actually good. Thank God.
2: That's, that's something. I'm going to travel back uh, 12 years to One of the Dead. Mm-hmm. I remember when One of the Dead uh, premiered at Fantastic Fest, uh, how happy I was because the movie worked. And one of the things I remember from that screening was this very distinctive laughter. Mm-hmm. Which was you? <laughs> I think that maybe
1: that's my friend Jarrett, who was sitting next to me, who laughs very I, I, I loud. well.
2: I don't know, but like right now. Alejandro, like, can
1: you mimic the laughter? No, what I don't did know. it sound like?
2: It's, it's white people laughter. <laughs> uh, I kind of do that. But uh, at Fantastic Fest uh, for Satanic Hispanics last year, you were sitting behind me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember when you started laughing, and I was like, oh, okay. This is good. Maybe it was my laugh, then, if no, you recognize. Maybe, maybe I have a thing for your laughter that, like, no one hears it, but I, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's Eric. Yep, yeah, no,
1: my uh, laughter is a very well-known aphrodisiac, so. <laughs> and yeah. uh, how, about,
0: how about your segment, Gigi? What can you tell us about yours?
3: Uh, well, what I can definitely say is that <laughs> when Mike and Alejandro approached me they, uh, to do this anthology, they definitely came up to me at the perfect time when I was in my, in my bad five minutes of anger. So I think that's why my, <laughs> my segment is so angry. It's so violent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm such a cheery person, but it was, it was at a time in my career. It was perfect timing, like match made in, in hell how this came about but uh, it was at that time where I was feeling a lot of rejection in the industry I was just getting mm-hmm. a lot of no's and second place for projects and I was like man I started to become doubtful if I'm
0: mm-hmm.
3: if I should keep going and I think all filmmakers go through this at one point mm-hmm. or another all of us go through it and I definitely don't want to feel like that again and when Mike texted me about satanic Hispanics. I'm like, I love the name. What is this? (laughs) And it just was perfect. And the fact that, you know, Alejandro and Mike just had this awesome idea of this wraparound film of this traveler to tell all these Latin American stories. I couldn't help but say yes. It was the opportunity for, I guess, Gigi to really, really make my mom cringe and ask what happened. And so I put I put all my anger in one segment with everything that I had going on in my personal life too. So it uh, it just yeah it was it was just perfect perfect timing.
0: And has your mom seen it?
3: Oh yeah, I actually videotaped her like a few days ago. She's never seen <laughs> it, and I was gonna share it on on socials. She she is very um worried. About me, and, uh, <laughs> she definitely was like, "Qué te pasó?" She was so disgusted by it. And I'm like, "Perfect." I always make her sit through all did, my did work. Was
2: not or yesterday or yes, your segment?
3: She she only watched mine because I I want her to watch all of it when the movie comes out. I'm I'm making her wait yeah. too. <laughs> make her
2: buy a thing. Yeah.
3: Oh yeah, don't worry, Alejandro. I'm gonna make sure the volume is ten times higher up when yours comes on. <laughs> just, <laughs> exactly
0: well i didn't i didn't catch it at fantastic plus yet last year because i got covid like two or three days into the into the festival yeah um and so i ended up like sitting out the entire thing which sucked balls and now it's coming to theaters and i'm gonna get to see it then very excited about that
1: Woohoo! yeah and again it's kind of a rarity that that we we get this uh, kind of stuff in theater so I highly encourage everybody yeah. listening to check it out and support it when it does happen uh, and uh, and you you guys will be in for a ride definitely bring your parents obviously it's a very good family, family movie. movie bring the small children especially for Gigi's very angry section and uh, Alejandro's uh, very family-friendly. Uh, Evil Dead nod section. Definitely.
3: Totally, Absolutely. Um
1: Yeah. So we are on a little bit of a, a tight timeline here. So we should probably get your Stephen King origin stories, so we can jump into some missed discussion. But we have to hear uh, what your Stephen King origin stories are, so you can fight to the death for who gets to go first.
2: G-G.
3: Ah, you beat me. That was an easy movie. one. Well, I actually the the first one I ever saw uh, an adaptation of Stephen King. Um, I actually, at a younger age back in Mexico, I hadn't read any of his books, but once I moved to Canada and I started opening my mind for more, um oh my God, my dog is going crazy the moment I said his name. Sorry,
1: I know that so Stephen like, King has that impact on on animals, yeah.
3: yeah, I'm like, shut up, cujo. okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> See what I did there. But then when <laughs> i I start opening, I guess my viewership to other movies. One of the movies that made a big impact on me when I was a teenager was (gasps) the green mile. It was Mm. definitely that movie that I was like, Whoa, I've never seen anything so beautiful, I guess. That was the first, first thing I ever um, saw adaptation of his. And it was through that movie that I was like, wait a second, this guy has, horror books, wait a second, this movie, (laughs) like it just kind of totally threw me back. Um, So that's, that's where, that was my first encounter to him.
0: Nice. Mm -hmm.
2: Nice. Uh, I'm way older than Gigi, but (laughs) the first one, the first one I read was it. And this was probably 1993 was, or maybe a bit earlier. I don't know. Probably 1991, I don't know, mm. uh, but I remember like I I started reading. I read that first chapter, and I had to meet with a friend, uh, and he was gonna pick me up uh, in a taxi. And I brought the book. I sat with him, and I said, "You have to read this." Mm. <laughs> and all the right, I made him read that first chapter. And after that, I wasn't I, I wasn't living in Cuba at the time. My my parents were diplomats. They were traveling all over Latin America. So we were in Bolivia. And I made them like I, I I tried to find every Stephen King book I could I, I could like I I read as much Steve like I don't think I read anything else um, for a long time It was all about Stephen King um, and uh, it became you know it became an obsession to the point that I learned to speak English just to be able to read Stephen King in the original. Um, so, so you can blame him for my accent. Uh, <laughs> and, then, and then in Cuba, it was even harder to find, once I moved back to Cuba, it was even harder to find Stephen King books. I remember once I was at a swimming pool in a hotel uh, and I saw a couple of tourists uh, reading uh, Stephen King. Well, it was actually the Bachman books. And I asked asked them if I could, like, have the book if they finished reading before they left. And for two days, every time I went to the swimming pool, I was looking at them until, (laughs) like, it was time to leave and I found them and they gave me the book and I still have that. Um, Oh, that's awesome. And and I, I have, like like when i moved uh, from cuba when i escaped and immigrated here <laughs> uh, one of the few things i brought was uh, a copy of dance macabre because that book is one of my favorite essays about horror and yeah. and it's like every time i need to go back to horror i i open that book and i and i start uh, reading and uh, you know it was and then well then there was the movies but for me, it was the opposite, actually. I started reading the books and then I was like, oh, there are movies? And <laughs> and I became obsessed about that. And I tried to watch as much um, Stephen King as I could. It was the biggest influence steering me into horror. And at the time, I didn't even think about being a filmmaker, but I wanted to be a writer. So that was my biggest influence. I think it's interesting that you
0: would learn to learn english in order to read the original text is there a reason for that like do you, did you find the translation lacking in some way or
2: not at all but i uh, i remember there used to they used to be like a bit of like more leaning into spanish from spain so oh, okay I, and and which was something that I also didn't relate uh, as much to so I wanted to see what it was like uh, in the original for I don't I don't even understand why and uh, and yeah, I started learning English so I could I, I, I could read him. And by the way, it was also like we're talking uh, late eighties, early nineties. So it was like a big. It was one of the introductions. Obviously, I had the movies, but it was uh, Stephen King is a special introduction to America to the American way of life. You know, because uh, he has uh, these tiny details like this. Um, he's so precise as a writer, uh, so specific that he tells you when a character is shaving, what kind of shaving, shaving cream or, or the kind of hats or whatever. And it was so strange and so foreign and, you know, and there's the stuff that you have seen in movies, but it clicks different when you read uh, in books. Like I don't know, some kids grab a bicycle and suddenly they are riding and walking in the woods, and you're like, "You can't go in the woods!" Like I didn't have any woods nearby, <laughs> and uh, and it's such a strange way to uh, uh, to get to know the culture here. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was. Um, I it's one of the reasons I'm here. No, nice. It, yeah, it's, it's
3: awesome. Cool. It's pretty cool how Stephen King is almost like the Hitchcock in novels. You know, like I think he cemented right. his place well as the master of horror. For novels and creating suspense and being so descriptive, I, I agree with Alejandro. Once I started to learn English, <laughs> when we were uh, in high school here in Canada, we were allowed to pick which book um, to read and do the essays. And the first one I ever read was *Misery*, and it was and it wasn't until I was able to speak English. But it's very true that the precision in his writing, I think that's why his, the adaptations are so good and so specific because. He he himself is so specific.
2: I, I think his impact goes way way beyond horror because, like, I think I think there's there's been a shift in, um, I don't know, like, uh, thirty years ago, uh, there was a certain type of novel or film that was never considered award uh, award-worthy and all hmm. that. Oh, then, sure. Then there's a whole generation of critics and filmmakers that had been raised. Uh, with Stephen King, and and they have a different appro- approach to genre, and I, I think that's all him.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He he was very good at building a brand. You know, yeah. it's like, it, it's it's something that I don't think people appreciate as much that like I, because he's such a blue collar like oh shucks kind of guy, but he's been very smart in how he's built himself. He didn't let the master of horror. Um, label like box him in he he, you know he used that to you know uh, build his brand like he was he was doing American Express commercials in the 80s you know he he tried directing he tried all sorts of different things but like he was always much like Hitchcock wasn't just a director he was the star of his previews he was on his own posters for for God's sakes it's like you know he hosted his own TV show you know it's like that 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 there's a very uh, purposeful way to do that and it's one of the reasons why I kind of like what George Peel was trying to do with the twilight zone series where i like the idea that jordan peele would continue to not just you know yeah, he, he wouldn't just be behind the camera he would come out and be like the face of of that
2: genre you know i think Shyamalan did that at some point too mm. but i but I, in the whole building a brand i think Do you think that if he had a good idea, he would ever be like, yeah, I like this idea, but it doesn't feel like a Stephen King idea. I'm not going to write it. I don't think so. I think think he writes whatever he wants and that I have to respect. I think I I respect him so much as a writer. Um, Like I cannot even tell you. Yeah.
1: But, yeah, no. Yeah, no, I mean you're 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 right. I mean like he got a lot of flack for uh, releasing Eyes of the Dragon which is essentially what we would call a young adult fantasy book now like in the early 80s and he had there's a lot of of a blowback on that and like what the hell are you doing you're supposed to be writing about monsters. Uh, and he didn't care. Like the Dark Tower series is the epitome of I don't give a fuck what you think. I'm just going to write, uh, yeah. you know, write what I want. And it doesn't fit into any easily discernible category. Uh, you're right there. But he's also had moments in his career where he's had to make the decision of at important parts. And you know, the one that jumps to mind is, is a very famous story is after Carrie, he had. Uh Salem's Lot and he also had this other uh story called Blaze that he ended up releasing, you know, decades later as a Bachman, a lost Bachman book. Blaze isn't very good. I, I'm not a huge fan of it, but it's it's more of like a crime kidnapping story, right? Um and his editor at the time was telling him to release Blaze, but you know, because he didn't want him to be typecast as the horror writer. But he said, No, but this vampire one's better. And I think that there is, and he was right. It's a much better book. But I also think he kind of there was something in the back of his mind that it's like this is what the readers want from me, and this is you know of those two options of things that I had, I will you know this is you know the the better choice. And he was right; his gut was right on the, in that.
2: Uh, By the way, Salem's Lot is the only book that has actually made me jump. No shit. Which part? Yeah, when he's when he's digging the grave and then opens and the eyes are open. Yeah, like, I remember. What I was, I remember, I clearly remember lying on my bed at my home. Uh, I like the color of the lamp next to me and all that while I was reading that and how I jumped and threw away the book at that moment. I was very young.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm going to have to check it out. I I actually have never read that book.
1: I'm going to do that. It's definitely, King is still kind of working through his. his process as a, as a writer in the, in this point, like I feel like the shining is where Stephen King, as we know and love him is born. Like yeah. that's just firing yeah. all cylinders. Okay. Salem's lot has, it has a little bit of a pacing issue, I think as a book, but, uh, what, what works works ex- extremely well, exceedingly yeah. well. So, you might even,
0: you might even argue that it's pet cemetery where he really finds his legs. You yeah. know, that's it, what it, I
3: was thinking. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, Because I don't know, some of those early ones, they're they're by no stretch of the imagination. Are they bad? You know, Um, I I can point to a few uh, Stephen King novels that I would say are bad, but but they are not. Um, They're just kind of rickety to read now. You know, it's it's like any any creative thing. You know, when you're first starting out, like you don't you don't entirely know what you're doing. And you're sort of, you know, finding your sea legs and all of that. And Salem's Lot is, is I think is is pretty. Pretty rickety from that era,
1: but that said, though, like the Long Walk, I think is one of the best things he's ever written, and he wrote that in in college. Long Walk is more
0: focused than Salem's Lot is the thing. Salem's Lot is like sprawling, you know, because of you know it's you know dealing with an entire town and all the all the (laughs) things going on in it. So it's like this our town sort of you know story being told versus the Long Watch, which is you know pretty straightforward,
1: Right. right, right.
0: Anyway, let's, uh, let's yeah, talk I'll, about The Mist. Yeah, none um, of those
1: titles are The Mist. Yeah. Gigi, would you, would you
0: mind doing the honors to just briefly explain what, what this story is about for anyone who's unfamiliar with it?
3: The Mist, sure. Uh, well, I, I remember the movie much better than the book.
0: <laughs> so, That's fine. That's fine. Same difference. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much beat for beat except at the for, end. Yes, well, yeah, is, very much so.
3: Well, The Mist takes place after a very scary storm, that completely looks like it's destroying this small town, like a small town America. And you meet all these characters that all of them, in some coincidental way, end up all of them getting stuck in this supermarket, in this superstore, as you will. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty amazing how this story unfolds with just having to survive and that the differences between everybody that is stuck in one place, little did they know that they will discover that there is actually something much scarier than the thick mist that is outside of the store. Something a lot scarier. Oh. Monsters, if you will. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's Very great. That, you should like write book blurbs for, for a living, like the, the dust jacket summary, because that's a really great, concise summary of what, of what <laughs> no this shit. is. Leaves you wanting
2: more. Why what you did you say? Her profession. She's a fantastic director. Let her do that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm just saying, you just be a a multi- side she's hustle. a multi-hyphenate. She's an actress as well, so she can Listen, do it all. Is what I'm saying.
3: Voiceover is my side hustle. That's all good. Yeah. I I do she's a renaissance
1: I'm woman. Why are you trying to, to limit her passion, her art? It's true.
2: It's true. Yeah, that's Alejandra. Ha- bye
3: I have to. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I have here's, to say, here's I my first. Do yes, I have a tiny regret. In my intro to the movie, I actually think the bigger monster is
1: the people inside. Yeah, very much so.
3: Something scarier outside. It's actually what is inside that store is the scariest thing in this film. Absolutely.
0: All right. We are here with the mid-roll ad reads. I believe I have one and, and you have one. Bestie. Yes. We're uh, overflowing
1: fir- with mid-roll ads today. Oh,
0: just positively overflowing. The first one comes to us from our friends at uh, Deceit 2. Mm. Are you still trusting your friends? They say they're not infected. They promise they aren't weakening the veil between this reality and the in-between. But can you ever really be certain of what terrors they're hiding? Perhaps instead of trust, you want peace of mind. In that case, you can seek out the Peddler in Deceit 2, releasing Thursday, September 14th. The Peddler offers a unique variety of items suitable for any occasion, for the right price. Maybe you'd like a torch or camera so that you can shine light into the darkness. What about decoys, smoke grenades, or medallions of invisibility for a quick getaway? And, of course, for those with malicious goals in mind, a muzzle to silence suspicion, or a mask to better hide your true intentions. The Peddler can give you a great many things, including a way out. If only they were pickier about their clientele, you might stand a chance. Be sure to check out Deceit 2, launching on PC through Steam tomorrow. Will you dare to play? Eric, will you dare
1: to play it? I would to dare to play it. I would dare. I like I like these kind of mystery games. I, I usually don't play them with on tabletop. So this actually yeah, sounds man. really intriguing to me. I don't know if it's intriguing enough to pull me away from uh, Starfield uh, just yet, but uh, it is now at the top of my list.
0: To our sponsors, I will be pulling Vespi away from Starfield to make him play Deceit 2. Don't worry about that.
1: Yes, and, and it, Scott was very nice. He even offered to buy me a whole new uh, gaming rig, a PC gaming rig. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Appreciate As you know, it. I'm over, positively overflowing with money.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, We have another sponsor to talk about in this mid-roll, and that is our good friends over at Scape's Action Figure Displays. These personalized displays are built to make your action figures look even more badass, be they DC, Marvel, or even some Stephen King-related goodies. For instance, they have a sewer set you can place your Pennywise action figure in to make him look even more at home. My personal favorite is the red rum door from The Shining that provides a great backdrop to hold your personal copy of the movie or book. But if superheroes are more your jam than horror toys, then they have you covered there, too. They have, like, a light-up kryptonite display that you can put your Superman in, The rooftop set perfect to display your brooding Batman figure. See all these items and more, including costumes and digital arts, at etsy.com slash shop slash figures. Or you can just search for action figure displays on Etsy, your number one place for customer made items. That's etsy.com slash shop slash scapes figures. And if you want 15% off your order, then go ahead and throw in the code King15 and that will happen. You will save 15% off your nerd furniture for your house. And with all of that said, I think it's time to get back to the show.
0: The first question I want to ask both of you about this is both the novella and the, the movie feature a cast that is predominantly white. I'm curious that if the events of The Mist took place with a predominantly Latino group versus, you know... A bunch of white folks. Do you think
2: anything would have played out differently? Hell yeah, we would be eating tentacles that night.
3: (laughs) We were probably gonna make food out of the stuff that's in the mist or something. (laughs) But but you know what like? That's a great question. I noticed that.
2: I noticed that. Like, I watched the movie and reread read the novella uh, for this because I'd like to do my homework, and that was one of the things I noticed. And at least in the in the movie, you do have uh, the African American character, the the yeah, Andre Brower. Yeah. Yeah. In the novella, it's not not specified, and it hints more that it's uh, white. So, yeah, I reading that, and as someone that comes from a tropical island where you have lots of hurricanes and all that, and not a lot of supermarkets, that's another thing. It's like, uh-huh. <laughs> it was like we, we don't have a supermarkets like that uh, to go to. So, yeah, looking at that and thinking back to when I first watched the movie and first read it, it was like a completely foreign, very American thing. Uh, like in Cuba, I have been through hurricanes that have taken down power and everything for two weeks. And I don't think I even tried to go to a supermarket. Uh, <laughs> All well, right. There's probably one or two. Um, but what I was saying, it's I there something happened to me like three years ago, and you're going to love this. And I didn't mm-hmm. notice until re-watching, re-reading uh, this weekend, A few years ago, I went with the family uh, and friends to a lake uh, here outside L.A., and while we were there, there was a snowstorm, there was no electricity. Next day, we had to go to a supermarket, and it was like that, like in the movie, no electricity, lights out in the supermarket, super crowded. And for the first time in years, I was like, oh, this is exactly like the mist. (laughs) But here's the thing. Do you know the name of the lake where I went? Lake Arrowhead. Perfect. Don't shit. <laughs> Perfect. And I had completely forgotten until I was doing this uh this weekend and I was like, oh shit. I should <laughs> have gotten the fuck out of there. Yeah. <laughs> you were
1: in the mist and you didn't even realize it. I know. Uh, that's that's I, rem- thing. I remember when the um when The lockdown was was happening, uh, like in those early days where we didn't know what the hell COVID, like, could you get it from, you know, touching a gas pump, you know, that somebody else touched? Could you get it on your groceries or whatever? And this is before everybody, you know, just had masks on them at all points. And it was just crazy. And there was like a lineup when HEB here, uh, our grocery chain here. Uh, when it like would open after the the initial round of shutdowns, and there was like they would only let in certain amount of people in certain times, and they would the only thing the mist really gets wrong is that there's everybody just instantly doesn't start hoarding toilet paper, like <laughs> that became the yeah, like yeah. The, the my experience in, in, in any of that. And then <clears throat> when we had those bad storms, the snowstorms that like trapped everybody in Austin in their homes for five days without power. Uh, like leading up to that, it was the it was water and toilet paper where everything that like people were ignoring food, canned goods. All they wanted was water and toilet paper.
2: Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. What's your take on the Latino reaction to something like that?
3: I feel I love this question so much when you when you guys asked it, because I feel that if this was to happen in Mexico or I don't know, or like in a small town where you know, everybody and it's based, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like we would actually work together more. (laughs) I feel like we have a more of a family oriented culture, if it's okay to say and admit, I feel like we really have more what we call hermandad, which is just that, that closeness of family that it's very important to stick together. And that's why I mean, I personally love this movie so much. This story because it just shows how the biggest fear is man-made fears. How hysteria is literally susceptible to insanity. And I think right, right. that you know, in, a, in the cultures that we know, like it's just this movie applies to today's world so much on how we are so divided as a species of humans. Like we are all fight for yourself, survive for yourself, me, 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 me for everything. And this movie literally ends up, without too many spoilers, ends up showing you how cults literally begin. How literally Mm -hmm. hysteria takes completely over you. And so I feel like I've been in situations with my family. I've been in situations with friends where... We have encountered cartel. we' have encountered shootings. We have encountered very scary situations um even at one point, my father has been uh kidnapped in Mexico for ransom jesus well so i have I have lived very scary stuff and I have seen how we not saying we're calm, but I have seen how we take a step back in our culture to think sometimes and i I love this question so much because I'm almost like, I wonder if, if this was a Latino told story, how different it would go. So, but still like a Latino watching a movie like The Mist, it's not, it's not far off of how maybe it would be if we were one of those people in that store. We would feel pretty alone, I think.
2: No. If it was if it was in a Cuban store, probably we will be like, "Hey, the behemoth is re- heading to the north," and suddenly you have that thing with ten thousand Cubans riding to Miami. <laughs> <laughs> you also <are laughs> from all the tentacles and all that shit. Yeah, I I I do
1: love that Gigi has this really just in depth, thoughtful, like intellectual, emotional response to that question, and Alejandro's like, "We're gonna ride the behemoth to to America." <laughs>
3: And what makes it even better is that he's not wrong. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: That's
2: a lot of
3: meat. Um, yeah, man. Do you,
1: so you don't, you don't think that it would, the click situation would, would be as immediate. No. Um, I'm, at, I'm,
3: well,
0: well, when I asked this question originally, yeah. uh, what I was curious to hear, to see if I'd hear anything from you all about, and neither one of you brought it up was the religious aspect. Hmm. You know, once the, the shit hits the fan and all those people are in the place, like it very quickly does break into that that click thing that Eric's talking about. And one of the predominant voices is this fucking religious fundamentalist. And oh, I know I that the
3: whole cult of it all like it's, it's it, right because it, there's a you whole did. different. I think there's a difference between. Oh, but keep going. This might get political. We well, first. I mean,
0: you're you're not you're not wrong, but it. it I think that. You know the the mist. It's it, the mist. The people in that store. It's a microcosm, right? So, you know it, the the cult that forms is still birth of fundamentalist religion,
3: of course. And of
0: course. you know That's- the Latino community has a lot of Catholics. So I was curious mm-hmm. if like either of y'all mentioned like yeah, but instead of like you know it would it would it might be more specifically like a Catholic read on the situation versus mm-hmm. what's the, the I, white people version.
2: Uh, right. I think, I think on one hand, the, the the that religious thing, I mean, it's true that there's a lot in Latin America, but I think there's a cultish thing that it's uh, more from here, from the US, you know?
0: Yeah. I, yeah, I was I talking about that
2: recently with someone, like uh, talking about super churches and all that. And I'm like, is that a real thing? Oh, yeah. And uh, it's not something that's so common in Latin America. But on the other hand, what you're saying, and I've been talking about this a lot uh, today, um, the whole sacrifice stuff, like... In in the case of the book and the movie, it's like the wrath of God and she creates all this cult and all that. But remember that Cubans, we have all the Afro-Cubans uh, religion. We sacrifice, we do sacrifices for shit, you know, it's like, hey, I need to go to Miami. OK, let's sacrifice the chicken and ask uh, for this deity to get you there that's right. a pretty common <laughs> stuff and i'm not even joking like right if, if we were locked in that store um and and someone was like hey maybe if we do some sacrifice most likely people would be like yeah let's do it <laughs> 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 night one that, yeah that,
1: uh, that poor child would have been 20 minutes in
2: <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. Well, well you think- never
1: know if you don't try. So
2: no, but it does. It does feel like a very uh, wide uh, movie and book uh, <laughs> yeah. in the sense. In the sense that it's but like I- a very I- and also a time capsule. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah.
3: No, 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 no. It, I love everything that's being said. I think one of the reasons I liked it a lot. I mean, it wasn't far off from what. I mean, I don't want to sound crazy or in intrusive in any way, but like, it felt very truthful. That I think white people would react that crazy and that man yeah. Like, yeah, they would like, you know, absolutely like it, I, it felt it didn't feel far off and i i it's one of those films when you first ask that question i wanted to say but it worked like it right. worked 100% yeah. and it's it's almost crazy to see that you know that it did work. It's almost crazy to believe that, but it's because it was really honest in that aspect. I remember when we first moved to Canada uh, for Mexico, here there's a lot of cultures and a lot of religions. And right away we're like, oh, nice. There's a Catholic church not far from our house. And Mm -hmm. first day we went, (laughs) my family and I, it was a little intense. And it was one of those... uh, I don't know how to call it with the right words, but it definitely did not feel as real as uh, how we, you know, like to believe, and in, in in the Virgin Mary and how casual it is in Mexico. It's like it's super casual. It really is. And I remember coming here, and and we we actually stopped going to church right away after the first two times that we tried, because we felt it was so forced upon us, and we felt. It was what I think this movie shows, and it's something I related to, that losing faith is is one of the scariest things because you're you're just losing hope in general. And yeah. I think faith could be seen. It doesn't have to just be seen as one religion or as one thing. Faith is just what gives you hope. Yeah. And I think forcing people to eat that, eat that well, faith. I mean, that happens everywhere. Yeah. So uh, I love how in the Mist, they're just being literally um, throat punched with, with a faith that it's almost like that's the only hope that you have left. So I just, uh, yeah. I know I appreciated that a lot. And this well, movie's and- ending. Damn. It's great. Yeah, yes. no, that, that, yeah, well, and that plays the in the.
1: Ex- exactly what you were talking about because the whole point of the movie is an examination of of hope and what happens when you lose hope versus what happens when you keep hope um mm-hmm. and that's the, the the whole point it's not just the sucker punch of an ending at this point the listeners you all know what it is if you don't earmuffs but i mean come on every we know everybody knows this ending now it's not just the sucker punch of david drayton getting to the point where he has to kill everybody he loves out of mercy it is the and it's not even the reveal of the army him you know showing up mere minutes later it is the shot of melissa mcbride and her family this character who stood up at the beginning of of the whole damn movie saying you know i need to get home to my family won't anybody help me and she she had hope that she could make it and guess who fucking makes it it's her and her kids you see he sees and that that to me is like i'm getting like legitimately i'm getting goosebumps talking about it i think the the ending is a fucking masterpiece and and the the reason i i love it is part and parcel why it pisses so many people off uh but they're kind of missing the whole theme of of the movie there and it's all captured in that in that uh moment which is why i think uh, Stephen King said that if he had thought of this ending, he would have used it. Like, and he was kind of pissed off that Darabont thought of this ending and he didn't. And, you know, because it plays That's- to the theme and the whole theme is, is always been about, you know, you know, people who keep hope in, and, and, uh, and lose hope in the novella, it become, it's a little bit more, they retain hope, you know, it's a little bit more of a hopeful ending, um,
2: uh, although I've argued this point I on, on love the show. The ending of the I love the ending of the movie. Although yeah. I have to say now that I'm a father, it was really hard to watch the movie. Oh, yeah. And the book was even harder to read because like the book is set in a different time. Like uh, David Drayton is drinking beers from the beginning and the kid's like, Can I have a seat? Yeah, go. Only one sip. <laughs> like, what the hell? Yeah. Uh, but, like, knowing where it's heading, uh, like, the the movie was devastating to me uh, right. this time. Um, because now I was a father. It's like, oh, hell no. Uh, but I love... The ending of the book is one of my favorite Stephen King endings ever. Yeah. So, I, I yeah. prefer
3: being punched in the face with tragedy, I guess. <laughs> oh, for real, like I, I, and and you're right, Alejandro, I think it's totally like what speaks to you will will pretty much gather like your opinion, right? Like uh, to me, like that, I don't know, I kind of really enjoyed the realness of the other ending, oh, but, but it's I get where you're coming from though.
2: It's, it's beyond that. I do like I do like uh, the hope of the book ending, but I also feel it's it's the the poetry in the writing because it's so simple. It's it's right. like uh, two words. One of them is hard for the other is hope. It's yeah. so beautiful. Uh, the writing it's so simple and so beautiful that I love it. The uh, all- the movie's beautiful. It's because other uh, reasons so far. <laughs> right, uh, although. Yeah, Alejandro, my argument,
1: though, is that the movie's uh, ending is way more of a happy ending than the than the book's is because it's just not a happy ending for David Drayton and his family. Like, right. Everybody else gets saved. Like the, the humanity wins in the book. The mist goes on forever, 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 as far as we know. And maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. We don't know. And humanity probably loses. Maybe loses. I don't know. We don't know. I
2: I don't know. I mean, maybe not the Latinos, I'm sure. (laughs) Uh, But uh, I I mean, I can see your point. But uh, you're not watching the movie analyzing, oh, the whole world is saved because you haven't been following the whole world. Uh, You have been following the story of this father. Carrying right. his kid, protecting his kid, the, all the movie, and then at the end, even the, that close-up of the kid when he opens uh-huh. his eyes, uh-huh. and and he's already like loaded a gun, and the the, the the fear in the kid's eyes—it's like, fuck off, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? Who cares about <laughs> the rest of the world? Like, fucking kid? You think a, a
3: lady, <laughs> the lady with her kids doesn't she represent the, the hope for the rest of the world? Yeah, like, that's what I see That that's why I thought too that humanity was safe. Everyone go against Alejandro
2: with everything I, we I, got. I, I don't give a fuck. Like I love I the think, movie. I energy. think I, I, I
0: agree with Alejandro on this. It's it's
2: it's a that like thing. analytically
0: analytically what Eric is saying is correct. You know, I I think sure, that is yeah. what we're meant to take away from from that ending is that okay yeah but it's over now basically yeah. which by the way i'd like to see the cleanup effort on that shit
2: you know <laughs> right. but
0: but also alejandro was right because this wasn't a, a a story that takes place all over the world and we're checking in with all these different characters mm-hmm. no we're following this one guy and his kid and the movie is a kick in the fucking nuts there's just yeah, no way does, around
2: it doesn't have a heart that's the, the, the takeaway. how away. dare you how dare you? It's, yeah, it's, it, it doesn't,
0: I, but I found... it. I don't need an ending to have a heart. I thought that... I thought it was thrilling to see that ending the first time yeah, I saw yeah. it like in a theater. It was just like, holy shit, Frank Darabont's balls are the size of watermelons. How the fuck did they put this in theaters? Um, <laughs> when do you I ever get to, to see something like that? Like, we, I never
3: we never get to see these endings at all. One thing I found that... You know, I think I think especially in the studio system, it's always hopeful, 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 hopeful. And I, I remember having this conversation. I can't remember with who, but the this ending of the mist, I couldn't agree more. Was how did they get away with that? Mm-hmm. I will never know. Well, Look.
0: fucking Dimension offered, uh, Dermont like an extra fifteen million dollars if he changed the ending.
1: No, so, like. Yeah, like more budget. We'll give yeah, you they a bigger budget. If double, just, yeah, double their yeah. budget if they would have. If he wouldn't even just gone back to the ending of the novella. What was the
2: budget of the movie? Twenty month? million.
1: It's like eighteen point nine or something. It you was like you that, cannot yeah. do that
2: movie now.
0: And he said,
2: "No, thank you." Nope. <laughs> by the so way, I love. Like, there's something that you were saying earlier about how similar it is the novel to the book. I think. I think there's only like structure, mostly structural. Uh, changes, but I think right. one brilliant thing that uh, Daramon did is the character of Amanda, because yeah. in the book that's well, the, it does a very Stephen King thing that yeah, I know what you're thing. gonna say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Cuban, of course. In the middle of all thing, the world is ending, and there's this girl here, and he's like, "You have a nice green eyes. Let's fuck."
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. My <laughs> and- wife's at home. I'm terrified. I don't know what what
2: what's happened to her. You want a bone in the uh, in aisle four? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that's a very Stephen King uh, thing from the books from that time. Like people were always having sex in the worst situations. <laughs> uh, yep. rap. But Frank, yeah. Frank Darabon turned her into a real character. Right. Uh, as much as it can. I mean, there's still something not really super working about that character, but it's uh, so much better than the one in the book. Hmm. Yeah, no, he, he does flesh out a
1: lot of the side character, the you know, Toby the bag boy and like he, everybody has their thing and their moment. Even Sam Witwer's, uh Jessup character is fleshed out with that kind of hint of the high school flirtation with the with the employee that that worked there. And yeah, like, why didn't you ever ask me out? Like little moments like that. Yeah, Even, yeah, um, it's a beautiful moment. It's instead of that's instead of the boning instead of the pony uh but then even miss carmody gets that moment where we're with her while she's praying in the bathroom right and you see her like vulnerable because it's the only time that she's not putting on a show for somebody and and uh uh you know i don't know darabont's just really smart at finding those character moments and highlighting them and uh uh you know and it's just a fucking shame that he hasn't you know given us Another what three or four movies since since the miss
2: came out, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah well. like, we, we think, miss his voice. I I don't think he will ever do. He doesn't need to. He doesn't need to, doesn't need to put up with the yeah. like, this uh, thing anymore. And it's a shame. Like Shawshank is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, uh, like not Stephen King adaptation. Like movies in general, it's in my top ten for sure. And I I really miss uh, that director. Yeah,
0: me too. Yeah, same. Do you want? i know we're we're about out of time but just as a a final quick question uh do you all have a a favorite monster from from Mm. the movie
2: you got the pterodactyls.
0: you got the behemoth i
2: mean obviously the behemoth because that's the one that can carry more cubans to miami (laughs) <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's that one but not because of that reason it's because you can get a lot of meat and feed like a lot of people for a long time no. yeah uh, no but i love the scale i love how it disappears in the in the clouds i've always right. wanted a mondo poster it's one of the few that i've never got the guy yeah, that drew that
0: poster is our art director
2: oh yeah yeah uh,
0: yeah he does all our all uh, the all the stuff we do for the show any any of the visual uh, shit his name's daniel yeah. danger yeah.
2: Okay. Can we talk later? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll be okay, happy to put, we'll
1: put you in touch with them. We'll talk. Um, to, uh, I
2: mean. Yeah. I but, but, like yeah.
1: But, but to your point, before we get uh, Gigi's answer to this, um, the thing that I love so much about the behemoth is that we don't always and hardly ever actually get that awe in horror, right? We get the shocks. We get the emotional you know, stress, we get the laughs, we can get every other flavor, but it's one of the reasons why like, you know, people like, uh, like us, uh, you know, mourn Guillermo del Toro's, uh, at the mountains of madness. We don't get that awe, that sense of, of scale in, in horror very much. And, and Darabont was able to give it, and not only just, you know, for that moment, but also to illustrate that all the horrors that we've seen, the fucking spiders, everything that's been, you know, Making our skin crawl are essentially just like the the gnats of this world. Like, oh, there is an insignificance to everything. Like, this is so much bigger than than what we could possibly ever deal with. And you know, I don't know. There's just something so beautiful, melancholy, and horrific beyond horrific. You know, existentially terrifying about about that that moment. Right, right. Gigi, Uh, what's your favorite
0: monster?
3: No, I, oh my God, you guys, I love the way you all talk <laughs> so
1: much. Oh, thank
3: you. Um, well, we love the way you talk, so. I I had the most fear. Like, I loved all the designs and, like, even one of the first deaths with the tentacle, you know, coming out of the garage yeah, and like, right, everything right. super fun. But I had the m- most fear and I was the most scared uh, when everything just got so silent and so quiet mm. when those scorpion-looking flies start to appear and attract to right. light. And it was so quiet and they were bringing just light into the into the scene which it was so dark for some time you know it was getting into nighttime and i love how in the sound design like it was just the the heaviness of the buzzing and i know what that sounds like when like a wasp or (laughs) that bee is near me i'm like oh god it's just that sound that it, it grosses me out but It's that whole section of the movie where those scorpion flies just come in so peacefully and how the one encounters Miss Carmendy, just that one moment. It's almost like speaking with faith, speaking with God for her, for her character, how fucked up she is. That was probably my favorite monster, especially in the design that it it had human qualities to its face with the eyes Mm -hmm. and the way it was staring back the other monsters are just cool in general. I think the spiders have like a skull type face.
1: Yeah,
0: really spiders creepy. are gnarly
2: as fuck, dude. I'm I'm sorry, Gigi's is so poetic. He is being so poetic that it makes me want to change my answer. <laughs> yeah, um, for me, sorry, that's not Gigi, a lot the of, most, yeah, Unfortunately, most scary, the most scary monster is all the white people getting together. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, we can agree on that. that that's the <laughs> moment. That's the moment where like I would be like, hey, we need to get out of here why there are monsters out there yeah but look at all these white people you know what's gonna happen to us right let's let's take take our chances out there in the mist do you think
0: like like, seriously though if you were in the store do you think you would try to try to if you if your wife was stranded or your partner whatever the case may be uh was stranded somewhere on the opposite side of the mist and you were in that store do you think you'd make a, a a break for it or do you oh, think hell yeah so i'm cuban <laughs> it's like, it's well it's yeah like, you're gonna ride the behemoth
2: i mean it's like yeah yeah but i'm cuban you know the shit i have seen like, I can, like I, I, you know what i would make it i would i would make it on a bicycle <laughs> And I it,
3: if i was in the movie and i was like married to like a white guy I'd be like honey we're going he's like no no i'm like you shut the fuck up we're gonna go yeah, right now
2: we're going, <laughs> going. Because, you this know <laughs> If we, if we stay there, if Latinos stay there, they are like, oh, the thing is clogged. Someone needs to get out. Alejandro, can you do it? Or we need to get to the pharmacy. Alejandro, can you go now? Fuck, no. I'm just going out. There. <laughs>
0: yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. Of course, we stay have there. some hot Cheetos on the way. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, um, I think we're about out of time with y'all, but uh let's let's loop back around and, and talk a little bit more about satanic Hispanics. First of all, uh where can people find you you folks online and uh what's the specific date is
2: this is hitting theaters?
3: September 14th, baby. It's,
2: yeah it's gonna be a lot of theaters. You can buy tickets on AMC, Regal, whatever your thing is. It's playing it's playing pretty much everywhere. It's a miracle. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it's out there and it's everywhere. So uh, go watch it. It's awesome. It's fun. And
3: you can buy tickets. Or has been
2: cleaning up at the box office too. Mm-hmm. Like I think
0: you, I think you guys got to might be sitting on a gold mine here. I don't know.
1: Let's hope so. Are you gonna? Yeah, do you, a you t- have points? I'll Did you. do you have points in this in this fucker?
2: I used all my points.
1: Oh, you used them. <laughs> you, what were you What were you saying, Gigi?
3: Oh, that they can go to satanic Hispanics film.com and they can already get the tickets now, right? Alejandro, did yeah, I get
2: that? Thank you, thank you very much. is absolutely okay. right as always. So <laughs> satanichispanics.com
1: was already taken and you had to do they had to get <laughs> satanichispanicsfilm?
2: Probably.
3: Uh, that's a good question.
1: <laughs> who, who, who's squatting on satanichispanics.com? Luis
0: Guzman, actually.
1: <laughs> makes sense. I would hope so. It's either him or Tucker Carlson, so I'd much rather Luis Guzman.
0: Yeah, fair. Fair.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, this was
0: we're we're really excited to see the well. I'm really excited to see the movie. Eric's already seen it and recommends oh, it. Yes, and I
1: will see it again. Yes, we're gonna.
0: I'll force him to come with me, and uh, we
1: hold your hand. Yeah,
0: encourage all all of our listeners to to check out horror anthology in theaters while you can actually do that. Um, those those opportunities do not come along very often. Uh, Alejandro and Gigi, thank you so much for being here today. This was. Maybe my favorite episode that we've done on this particular title. This was
3: awesome. Oh, I had a ton of fun. Anything to make fun of Alejandro and talk about how Cubans jump on a monster to get out of there. <laughs>
2: let's, let's, let's let's repeat soon. I'm gonna reread everything Stephen King and see what Cubans can do to
1: escape. You know what we need? We need to get you guys and do a commentary together because that we oh, we'll find a really a really terrible Stephen King movie because we we need we need all the help we can get on that stuff and. And uh, you know, Gigi brings the the brains. Alejandro brings the funny. You know, can uh, I, just, in... say, you
3: know, can I yeah. just say, like, what would happen if Alejandro was cast as Jack Torrance? So Jaime Torrance. Like, imagine what that would be. Like, <laughs> I, I want. wonder what that would be in the shining.
2: Listen, I, I'm I'm Cuban. You know, Latinos have a very weird relationship with the supernatural. It would be something like, hey, there are ghosts here. Yeah, okay. Let's go to bed. Because, like, <laughs> right, right, literally, like in my first marriage, there was a ghost in the house. And I remember like, f- f- like, you get used to that thing. You wake up at night, there's an old woman lying next to you. You keep sleeping. Huh. You <laughs> that's, like, that's like the way it was.
3: It's true though. I've seen my mom talk to ghosts. It's really weird. Like she'd be like, yeah. she literally tells them to fuck off. She'd be like, ¿Y tú qué quieres? And I'm like, who are you talking to, no. I don't yeah, know, but yeah, presence in the house. <laughs> I'm like, oh god. It's
2: like so what it would be like if I was a uh, Jaime Torrance, I would just be having fun in every bedroom of these big white people <laughs> hotel. Like, there <laughs> are ghosts. In what room are they partying in? Hey, there's all an old lady, an old naked lady here in this bathtub. I'm going in. <laughs> <laughs> Let's end this because before I get like really Yeah, we don't want you to get in trouble.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, we don't want we don't want you fucking a corpse on the air. That could that could get uncomfortable. But,
1: uh, but again, uh, th-
0: <laughs> this was great. Uh thank you for being here, guys.
2: No, thank, thank you, you very much. Love you guys.
1: Many thanks to Alejandro and Gigi for joining us. Um, I'm not going to attempt to pronounce his last name again because he changes how he pronounces it from uh, moment to moment. And I don't want to get yelled at. You maintain that
0: when he was breaking your balls at the top of this episode that he was, in fact, lying.
1: I believe he likes to twist the truth to make me look bad. That's another way of saying that he was lying. Twisting the truth is definitely a, uh, a softer way of saying he's a lying liar. <laughs> pants. And, uh, I stand by Alejandro's a, a damn dirty liar and, uh, he's got a great, great taste in cigars. I'll give him that. But other than that, he's a liar should not be trusted. Uh, but you know what he makes for an entertaining podcast guest. And, uh, I was very happy to have him and, and Gigi on the show and, and, uh, That was one every once in a while we record one where like, you just know at the end it's like, well, that's, that's one's like just on fire the whole way out. Right. You don't bottle that chaos. You don't contain that. You just release it. So
0: yes, Uh, we would, we would very much like to have Gigi and Alejandro return to the show. And um, I'll tell you what, I was talking to Alejandro a little bit this morning on Twitter. He's going to break your balls even harder. Next time he comes back, he says,
1: I hope so. Bring it on. I told him,
0: I was like, i I think you went too easy on the boy.
1: I I noticed that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you're just uh, you're trying to thicken my skin up, have me ready for the real world out there. I appreciate it. Well, I just, you know, it's fun to see. It's fun to have a guest on the show that's arguing
0: with one of the hosts and I could I can just sit back and watch rather than be the person embroiled in the <laughs> yeah, that, in the that argument.
1: Just- that doesn't happen much with you. You you're you're the one usually stirring the shit. So yeah, it must have been yeah. a nice little little <laughs> yeah. treat for you to see see me uh, being in, engaged uh, in such a way. Very refreshing. Yes, I <laughs> loved it. Uh, let's tell the folks what we got coming up. So we have, as usual, a bonus episode on Friday on our Patreon, and a little hint for what's coming in the main feed next week. So why don't we start with the main feed for next week? What what title are we doing? We are we are returning to the Tommy knockers mm. and we are doing this because we
0: have a guest coming on the show. A first timer, a uh, friend of mine, uh, also a extremely talented filmmaker. I'm a, I'm a very big fan of this person and he has a new movie coming out that uh, is extraterrestrial related. So we wanted to pair him with one of King's uh, alien projects. and um, uh, while this person is also a, a, a friend of mine, I also like, um, you know, busting his balls a little mm. bit, like Alejandra to, to Vesby. So I insisted that he watch the entirety of the Tommy Knockers, <laughs> um, which we did not rewatch, I will have you know. <laughs> nor do we reread it. Um, but uh, we had just done Dreamcatcher, and I didn't really want to fuck with Under the Dome, nor could I insist that a guest read a thousand page novel. So, uh, yeah, so um, basically, I just uh, uh, threw the Tommy knockers at him, and so we're going to be talking about the Tommy knockers next week, um, along with our guest's uh, brand new movie, which is coming out very soon, which uh, is a pick of mine for one of my one of my favorite movies of the year. No question, yeah. it's uh, fucking awesome. I, I can't wait for y'all to hear this one.
1: Yeah, th- this guest is low key like one of the most exciting genre voices out there right now Mm -hmm. and and just movie by movie he's just getting better and better and uh and i can't wait to see it i haven't seen his new new one yet but scott loves it and praises it to the moon and uh and i'm definitely excited to see it when i can finally uh finagle my way into seeing it i'm probably just going to be watching it on streaming like everybody else when it drops um but uh let's talk about the bonus episode situation so over on our patreon this friday uh, we will be releasing the audio from the live show that we just did in Danvers, Massachusetts as part of the Silver Scream Con uh, put on by Ice Nine Kills folks. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we traveled to Boston and uh, went up to Danvers and, and uh, did this live show. So we, our guests there are uh, Sean Clark from, that you might know from Horrors, Hallowed Grounds, um, and a makeup effects guy by the name of Christopher Nelson. He's also an actor. You'll recognize him. He was the uh, bride's groom in Kill Bill. Uh, the the one that she was marrying before yeah. Bill stepped in and, and uh, cut that shit right out. Um, yeah. He was also in Halloween, the 2018 Halloween. Uh, you'll recognize his face. He was an in inherent vice, you know, really fun guy. He's been working on Stephen King stuff going back into the eighties. So we, We kind of talk about his work with Mick Garris and the in the stand. We talk about his work on the dark half. Um, And it's a it's a lively show. Scott is a little uh, got a little bit hit by the Massachusetts uh, edibles. uh, Yeah, I'll
0: I'll say this in my defense beforehand. Yes, Um, I didn't eat edibles right before we went on stage. I ate edibles four hours earlier when it seemed very. And I had 10 milligrams. You know, I didn't take a lot. I just wanted to, you know, sample the wares a little bit, know what I was getting into. And four hours later, when we got out of that stage, I was still pretty fucking placed. So. uh, So, yeah. But um, I just I just want to set the record straight on that.
1: Yes, I don't feel as though
0: I was being inappropriate. I feel like I was still being professional.
1: No, No, you're you're right up front, right at the beginning, telling everybody that the audience appreciated the honesty. Yes. Um, It was a nice packed room. I would love to say that that was for us. Um, but I uh, have a sneaking suspicion, considering that it went from like 80 percent full to 100 percent full uh, by the time we were wrapping things up, that they were probably camping out for Skeet Ulrich, who was uh, g- going to be on the panel right after us. Too uh, late. Gotcha, bitch. Yep. And uh, yeah, but we had it's a fun show. Uh, so stay tuned for that. And uh, if you want to hear that in any of the other many, many, many dozens upon dozens of interviews and commentaries and and straight-up bonus episodes and all sorts of crazy shenanigans, mailbag episodes, uh, make sure to sign up for our Patreon. That's at patreon.com slash Uh, And you're going to want to get in on that business sooner than later because we have season two of Shelbyville, our little Stephen King-themed RPG, is uh, gearing up to launch and uh, should be... Should be up and running. I believe we've announced a Friday, the uh, Friday, October 13th release yes. date for season episode one of season two. So that will be over uh, on our Patreon only. So the Patreon is good again. <laughs> <laughs> it's always been good. Come on now. Yes, it's always been good. But the people demand
0: Shelby Bill and we are bringing it back uh, at twice the length that it was last time. I think you got six episodes last time. We're we're closing out with 12 or 13 13
1: yeah we're ending with 13 this fucking season, yeah.
0: bananas and we've got we've got special guest stars yeah. we've got curveball fucking twists like you would not believe there is uh, insane there are ro- romances maybe yeah. there's there's all kinds of shit happening in this in this season so shelby bill i cannot wait for the people to hear it
1: Yes. Yeah. Me too. Um, yeah. So we got all that fun stuff. So stay tuned in the main feed next week for the Tommy knockers. And then on our Patreon on Friday, our conversation with Sean Clark and Christopher Nelson, all about Chris's work and Stephen King stuff and Sean's, uh, meticulous, uh, horror nerd brain ability to, uh, to break stuff down and, and, uh, and find uh, locations. And he talks about staying in the Stephen King Stanley, uh, all sorts of Stephen King goodness from our live show over at uh, the Silver Scream Con last weekend.
0: Absolutely. See you next week, folks.
1: Bye. The King cast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi. That's me. And Scott Wampler, Tira Ansley, and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director. And editing is done by yours truly.